I'm Alex Blumenstein. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, May 24th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Did you see where Alex Blumenstein? What happened to Brett Chang? Well, he's on a much-deserved and rare vacation this week. I'm one of the co-founders at The Peak, so I'm filling in while the hardest-working guy in showbiz gets some rest and relaxation. Rest and relaxation? That doesn't sound like Brett to me. I hope he doesn't have to drive anywhere when he's on rest and relaxation vacation. Nice to see you and hear you, Alex. I've known you for a long time, but you may be new to The Peak Daily listeners. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You know, hopefully Brett's not driving anywhere. I don't think that would be allowed or safe. But, uh, you know, Jay and I, you, we go back a long way. So hopefully we'll have similar chemistry on this podcast. I hope so. And, and you'll be with us through whatever Brett gets back. Yeah, a couple days. <laughs> we'll see how I do. All right, let's go. For our first story, power blackouts are predicted across North America. This weekend's storm in eastern Canada is just the start. For our second story, the Biden administration, along with 12 countries in the Indo-Pacific, a group that collectively makes up 40% of global GDP, is entering into a new trade agreement. And for our third story, Apple's big losses in China due to COVID-0 policies are forcing the tech giant to look for a new manufacturing home. Fun fact, Alex, Apple makes 90% of its products in China. We'll dive into that in a bit. Yeah, that is a fun fact, but one hell of an operational challenge to start anew. <laughs> it certainly is. Ready to jump in? All right, let's go. Up first, as almost a million people in Ontario and Quebec were reminded over the weekend, losing power can be a big problem. That's why a new assessment from a North American electricity grid regulator that predicts widespread blackouts across the continent this summer has a stocking up on flashlights, portable phone charges, and good old AA batteries. Alex, want to look into this report? You bet. The North American Electric Reliability Corporation's report sees demand for electricity surging in large swaths of the U.S. and Canada as most pandemic-era public health rules end and more people crank up their AC to beat intensifying heat waves. And that's not all. At the same time, power providers are struggling to ramp up output due to a combination of supply chain disruptions delaying new energy projects, high prices in global energy markets, and reduced investment in fossil fuels. Blackout risk is highest in the U.S. West Coast and Midwest, according to the report, but Saskatchewan is also at an elevated risk of power shortages if heat and drought drives demand above levels. Break down what this means, Alex. An unreliable power supply is a disaster for people and the economy, posing a serious health risk to vulnerable people, particularly the elderly, and making it impossible for many businesses to continue operating. And with temperatures rising, the strain on power grids is only going to grow, particularly in Canada, where air conditioning is turning from a nice-to-have to a must-have due to hotter summers. In fact, Vancouver became the first city to require new residential buildings to have built-in air conditioning, a change sparked sadly by an extreme heat wave that killed 570 people in BC last summer. It's a staggering number of deaths, and with at least 10 people dead after this weekend storm, we're thinking about everyone impacted across Canada. For our next story, we look at what Joe Biden is up to during his presidential trip to Asia. That's right, Alex. The president is launching a new trade agreement with 12 Indo-Pacific countries, and not Canada, in a bid to ice out China and make it totally uncool to even be seen sitting with them at the cafeteria. Biden unveiled the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, that is really a mouthful, in Japan yesterday, announcing that most countries in the region, not named China, would join the agreement, including U.S. allies like Japan and South Korea, along with countries that have tried to maintain good relationships with both China and the U.S., like India and Vietnam. 
The agreement includes countries that together account for 40% of global GDP, so it's no small feat. And unlike many trade agreements, the IPEF does not lower tariffs or increase access to markets. Instead, it encourages countries to create common policies on digital trade, supply chains, clean energy, and corruption. But Canada is not in this deal. What does this mean for us and for global trade, Alex? Well, you know, many countries, including Canada, wanted the U.S. to rejoin the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was snappily rebranded as a Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or to CPTPP, which frankly, I think the IPEF is actually a lot snappier (laughs) when you put it that way. So they wanted the U.S. to rejoin it after President Donald Trump pulled the U.S. out of the bloc in 2017. So the CPTPP was more comprehensive than the IPEF, Everyone following, everyone getting this straight? And what it did was it reduced tariffs across countries in who are part of this trade agreement. But it lacked the political support in the U.S. where lawmakers worry it would cost jobs and reduce wages for blue-collar workers. With the IPEF, Biden hopes to give countries in the region an alternative to China's trade bloc without damaging his administration politically. Whether he can draw countries away from China's orbit without offering more access to the U.S. market, that remains to be seen. It does. The next story is not unrelated. For our third story, we're looking at how Apple is pushing its contract manufacturers to start making its products outside of China, which is a major shift in strategy driven by the country's strict COVID policies and growing political risk. Alex, is it safe to say that this is a big deal for China and Apple? It's a huge deal, Jay. Come on. You know that. It's a real prime example of a Western company successfully doing business in China. It makes, as we alluded to earlier, alluded, we said, it makes more than 90% of its products in the country and has maintained a positive relation with the central government. So a decision to relocate its supply chain elsewhere could be a real blow to China's reputation with other international companies. Jay, why don't you let the PPLs know why Apple is making this switch? Well, China's lockdown cost Apple eight billion dollars in the first quarter of this year, according to the company's CFO, due to a combination of depressed demand among Chinese consumers and supply chain problems. Travel restrictions were so tight and power outages last year have also made China a less attractive place for foreign companies to manufacture. If we zoom out, and usually we have Brett do the zoom out noise, but let's try it. Were it to pivot from China, Apple would likely relocate its production either Vietnam or India. The latter has a large population of skilled workers, but its frosty relationship with China makes doing business across that border challenging. While Vietnam has a smaller workforce, but is already a manufacturing hub for some of Apple's China-based manufacturers. Peak Pals, thanks for having me. And thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks, Dale, for putting up with me. And thanks, 306 Media Productions, for producing this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Alex. I think this is a good tryout. I want to replace Brett by the end of the week. Is that okay? Gunning for it. Let's go. (laughs) Have a good day, Alex. 